The information you hear in this podcast is to be used for educational purposes only and not to be construed as medical advice. If you have any questions or concerns, please consult a licensed healthcare professional. It's the searchers. Hello there, once again, fellow peregrinos. Welcome to El Camino de Santiago, Pilgrim's podcast, where we talk about planning, preparation, and packing for walking the road to Santiago, as well as tips, tricks, and hacks to make your journey along the way a lot more enjoyable. And today, we're going to be specifically focusing on tips to help us get through the physical pains, the physical challenge of the Camino de Santiago. And to that end, I'm going to introduce you to the man who has helped me rehabilitate from a horrible knee injury that I had about 18 months ago. Bill Paravano, welcome to the Camino to Santiago Pilgrim's podcast. Thank you, Brad. I'm glad to be here. I'd love to give the audience a little bit of a background as to how I met Bill and the before and after effects of Bill's methods. So the listeners have an idea of, um, of how powerful and how successful Bill's method has been for me personally. So I'm going to quickly take you back to May 2020, about 18 months ago, living in Spain, had 50 days of lockdown where we were not allowed to go out of the house to exercise. I'm the kind of person that likes to go out and exercise, not the kind of person that likes to be indoors on a bike or treadmill. So I didn't really do anything for those 50 days. Um, And for the first time in my life, I was lazy, which felt kind of good. But on day 51, I was dying to get out for a run. And I had felt something pop in my knee day 51 it was kind of painful but I thought you know what I'll run try and run through it it didn't get any better so I went for an MRI came back with a grade four runner's knee which is basically most of the cartilage worn down in a certain area of my of my kneecap so pretty debilitating debilitating diagnosis meniscus tears two I was told I needed surgery um I consulted a physio friend of mine who said to me upon no circumstances should I undergo surgery, but he recommended I have a steroid injection, which I looked up the effects of this steroid injection, the side effects, and they were quite bad. So I thought I need to find someone who can treat me without surgery and without drugs and side effects. So who did I find? I found Bill Paravano. Um, So from working with Bill for 15 months, well, 15 months, yeah, I went from not being able to walk 10 minutes, get up a set of stairs, I couldn't get out of a chair to right now, 18 months later, being able to do all of those things. I've actually done a Camino since. I've actually walked another Camino since then. And I've just been for my first 15 minute run today. And I owe it all to this man, Bill Paravano. So as I I would like to use this podcast to say a very public thank you to you, Bill, for your amazing, unusual, but very effective methods and approach. Yeah, Brad, uh, it's um, yeah, like I said, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm pleased to hear the results um, from what's happened in our work together, and um, it's it's a process of doing some very simple things over and over again. 
very much like a, a long distance hiking adventure. Hmm. And Bill, I think it'd be interesting for the listeners also to hear about one of the or some of the long distance journeys that you've done as well, such as if you want to tell the listeners about your bike across America. Yes. Uh, in 2000 and well, maybe maybe let me let's back up a little bit. How I got involved in helping people with knee pain is I dislocated my left knee a series of four times in from December of 1998 to um, May of 1999. And ended up tearing the ligament in my left knee. It was uh, the ACL, the anterior cruciate ligament. I tore that. I tore two pieces of meniscus. I opted for the surgery to repair the ligament and the meniscus. But on the other side of the surgery, I still had lots of pain and swelling and discomfort and uh, stiffness and achiness. And at the age of 20, 28, 29 years old, I felt very old. And I did the physical therapy. I did everything that the Western medical model had to offer. However, I was left wanting <laughs> a lot on the other side of that. And my main love was judo, uh, the sport of judo. And I wanted to do anything I could to get back to doing judo again. So that started my journey. And uh, it was uh, June of 1999 after the surgery it, started my journey to figure out what I needed to do to get my knee back feeling normal. Uh, this led me to, yeah, I guess it would be a, a, a midlife crisis in the, at the age of 28, 29 years old. And I, I sold everything that I owned at the time. And I went traveling for nearly three years. And uh, one of the summers I spent riding across the United States from Seattle across, and uh, that was part of it was just because I didn't know if I could do it, and the other part of it was it was rehab for my knee because cycling is an incredible therapeutic exercise for a knee joint if done correctly. So I've been very I've the one to immerse myself in an experience screw it up and then figure out how not to do it incorrectly, uh, figure out what works and then move forward from there and use that, use that what I screwed up as a learning experience. And um, that, that's been the process I've been on for the past 20, what are we, 23, 24 years. So what's interesting is there, as you said, about how, I guess, the 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 cycling can be good for the knee if someone's injured. So if if there's a someone that's going to walk the Camino, a listener to the podcast that is feeling, for example, I know that um, a guy called Martin Jameson, he's wrote in and said he's got a pain on the left side of his right knee, and um, should he continue with putting on the topical gels such as the Voltarol, that kind of thing, could the cycling help him? Um, if it can't, what can help him? Is, the, is the, this gel useful or not? Uh, it it could be. I'm not familiar with the gel specifically. I think he said Volterol was the name of it, something along those lines. Got it. I didn't do any research. I didn't – just hearing about it now, so I'm not yeah. familiar with the gel. Um, I'm a big fan of Arnica, a homeopathic um, remedy that's used both topically and – sublingually which is underneath the tongue 
in terms of relieving pain. And uh, to understand what to do when there's pain in the knee is to recognize that there's an imbalance in tension in the knee joint. So the knee has a, um, a series of ligaments uh, that support the inside of the knee, the outside of the knee, in a way that when that tension is balanced, there's no pain. But when we uh, uh, have accidents, injuries, surgeries, traumas, that creates imbalances in our physical body. And when our physical body has this imbalance, it that unnatural tension pattern that the body takes on causes it to squeeze on nerves unnaturally because of the imbalance of tension. And when you have a situation specifically when there is a pain on the inside, or it would be the left side of the right knee, we would be looking at three different areas, three different specific areas that are displaying the imbalance in tension. It could be right at the knee joint, it could be slightly above the knee joint, or it could be slightly below the knee joint. Each of those three areas are gonna indicate a specific or a different type of tension pattern that we could begin to create comfort in comfort in by um, taking the tension off of the nerves in the knee that are being irritated. And when we do that, we start changing the neurology of the knee. Uh, the neurology of the knee, like um, uh, we have these neurological patterns that are part of the physical imbalance and tension. It's getting its communication from the nervous system as to how to hold the tension in balance or not in the knee. So as we create comfort in the knee, in one of those three areas or multiple of those three areas, we begin to change the neurology in the knee, teaching the knee how to become comfortable again. I, I know Brad, I know we're familiar with, because we worked together for you know, close to a year and a half. However, someone who is listening to the podcast for the first time, they're going to be like, huh, neurological patterns, how do we create comfort? So we can go a little bit deeper on understanding what comfort is by looking at how the knee is feeling now. So the knee feels a certain way when this gentleman steps the left side of the right knee. We use that as our baseline. That's how the knee feels. And when we begin to create comfort, we start feeling something other than the pain that the knee was feeling at baseline. When we go back and retest the knee or retest that spot after creating comfort, we're looking for a very subtle or larger indication that the knee feels different your description of your experience in that part of the knee feels different. And in doing so, we begin to open up a, a different path for the body to begin to heal instead of 
sucking it up and just pushing through the pain or um, putting uh, gel or creams or, you know, things that would relieve the pain, we can use that as part of a larger strategy to make sure the pain never comes back. So I think to try to go over what you said there, first of all is we're looking to get the person to a place of comfort before we start to do any kind of physical exercise or anything that's going to be challenging for that joint, for the body. And that certainly isn't going to involve cycling at that point. And it also brings on the point that when you are feeling some pain on one of these long distance journeys, like walking the Camino, that certainly to try and push through the pain isn't the right approach. Not necessarily. I'll, I'll make okay. some distinctions in yeah. that. Um, we we like to enjoy life. I, I like to enjoy life, which includes pushing the pushing the physical body at times. And especially if you're starting on a, a journey like hiking the Camino, there's this desire to want to finish it, regardless of how much discomfort you're in. But this what I'm referring to is more of a shift in mentality, a shift in approach. This, this would be, how can we begin to create comfort now when you're practicing to hike? How can you recover faster after your practice hikes to begin to, begin to build the conditioning in your legs so when you are on the Camino that it's not going to be this abusive experience? Um, it's important to understand that whenever we start out in pain, pushing through pain rarely gets us out of pain in a long lasting way. So we, we want to keep that in mind in the training and preparation for a long distance hike like that. But if we find ourselves on a long distance excursion, like hiking the Camino, we want to take these concepts and principles into account during the day-to-day -day grind of going through that experience, we want to make sure we're optimizing our body's ability to recover as quickly and as easily as possible during that day-to-day -day experience. For instance, um, you start hiking and in the first week, I, tell me, how long does it, the, the average hike normally take on that? Well, I mean, depends on which one, but I mean, you can say that you're going to be walking for eight hours a day, more or less, sometimes more, sometimes about less, but it's eight hours a day. For a week, two weeks, three weeks? Normally a month, not around month. about a month. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you're at the end of your first week, it's day eight and the knee is really sore that, you know, you're really having a fit with your knee. But you realize you have another three weeks to go, approximately. There are things that you can do to make sure you optimize the, the speed of recovery. Uh, one thing is making sure you're drinking plenty of water. You're drinking plenty of water first thing you get up in the morning. That's going to be the first thing. The why, second, why, why is that, Bill? Could you just quickly explain why? The body is supposed to be made up of 50 or I'm sorry, 80% water. And when the body gets dehydrated, there's a hierarchy of water allocation. 
So first, second, and third is your brain, your blood, and your organs. In order to keep your body alive, your brain, your blood, and your organs have to be properly hydrated. If you aren't drinking enough water, your body, yep, yeah, like you're drinking right now, your body is going to the bones and the synovial fluid in the joints and draws the water from those areas to keep your brain, your blood, and your organs properly hydrated. What that does is that dehydrates the joints. Well, when the joints don't have proper hydration, the joint dries out. The joint requires that lubrication from the water to be in the joint. So when you're walking, your um, the bone in your upper leg, the bones in your lower leg, and your meniscus can glide smoothly against each other. And if it's dehydrated, that creates a degree of friction. You'll feel it like achiness or tightness or fatigue starts setting in the knee very quickly in a very short period of time. Now, this is a real simple thing you can do is increase your water intake, which it and a lot of times, many times that the knee pain will begin to dissipate or the achiness in the knees will dissipate just as a result of increasing your water intake. And and um, that's the first step in the process. Second step is making sure that your body is actually able to absorb the water that you have drunk. Meaning that when you're, especially with a long distance journey like the Camino, what, what is happening is your body is burning sodium. Body is burning minerals. On an on a eight hour journey like that, hiking, it's burning minerals. Which means your body's ability to absorb the water that you are drinking diminishes over the period of the day and over time when you're drawing this deficit in your body. So a, it, what it'll look like is you'll drink water and five minutes later you got to go to the bathroom. That's because the body doesn't have the ability to absorb the water that you're drinking. Easy solution for that is beginning to incorporate a high quality sea salt into your diet that you would drink with the water. So now you're drinking the water, your body, you give the body the, the amount of water that it needs to be properly hydrated and you're incorporating the sea salt, which has a good balance of sodium and other minerals that now your body can actually absorb the water that you're drinking and get it into the cells where it's needed in order to rehydrate the joints and the brain and the blood and the organs, all those other components with it. Um, I'll add one piece to that, and that is one of the telltale signs that you become dehydrated is you don't feel like drinking water. <laughs> The body actually shuts off the mechanism for wanting to drink water because it is dehydrated. And the, the salt in the water kind of restarts that mechanism so you'll feel uh, you'll feel like drinking water again. That's a fantastic masterclass in hydration there, Bill. Thank you very much. And it's uh, the principles I've followed ever since I started working with you every single day. I've got it right now. 
my water with my lemon uh, and the Celtic sea salts in there. And yeah. um, that's how you supercharge your water a la Bill. Most sure. definitely. And, and Brad, I can also, uh, there's a link to the original Gatorade on how to make that mixture. That would be a real great one for people to, to incorporate uh, on their long distance hikes. Yeah, I can definitely definitely drop that as well. Bill, you, Bill you're going to go on to some other points there. I don't know if you can recall um, the points you're going to uh, go on to. If the not, balance, we, yeah. Balance of tension in the knee. Hmm. Okay. There's a concept that eludes many, um, many people in the medical industry. And that's the concept. It's an, actually an engineering concept or a business concept um, of systems theory or tensegrity structure. Tensegrity structure is T-E-N-S-I-G-R-I-T-Y, tensegrity structure. And you could think of it, um, an example would be a bicycle wheel or a geodesic dome. And that goes back to what I was talking about, the balance of tension in the knee joint. And the, the body is very much a tensegrity structure, just like a bicycle wheel. You have tension between the, the rim and the hub and the spokes. And when there is excess tension in some spokes and not enough tension in other spokes, you'll, the, the wheel will get out of true meaning it'll be balanced and it'll wobble a little bit and uh, you won't feel real stable or sturdy when you're riding a bicycle. The physical body is the same way. If we have excess tension in, uh, let's say you're wearing the wrong shoes when you're hiking, <laughs> you, you, you walk differently. You may walk on your toes more. You may walk more on your heels or the outsides or the insides of your feet. And what that does is that has a cascading effect of affecting the tension in your feet, your ankles, your shins, your calves, your knees, your hamstrings, your quads, your hips, and your lower back. So now if you're just walking a couple kilometers, it may not that be that big of a deal. But if you're trekking for an extended period of time for eight hours that builds up the body compensates for that and the tension patterns in the body will shift accordingly to make sure it doesn't have to feel the discomfort of if your shoes are too small you're going to kind of uh, clench your toes a little bit so you don't have to feel the pressure of the shoe on your um on the tips of your toes Let's say you get a blister. You don't have the right socks. So now you get a blister and it causes you to walk differently. This all affects the tension patterns that are going on and how you walk. Now, add on being dehydrated on top of it. Add on you didn't get a good night's sleep the night before. Add on that maybe <clears throat> you had an, uh, an old injury that's incorporated into the mix. And what ends up happening is now the all of these um, these components build up in the physical body over a period of time until, uh, you, you know, it, the body finally says, I, I can't, I can't take this anymore. So that's the concept of the, this imbalance of tension that we have to take into consideration for an area of the knee that hurts. Uh, 
going back to that original question, the in or the left side of the right knee, we can look at the wear patterns in the shoes. We can look, we'll look at hydration. We can look at the body's ability to absorb the water that it is drinking. We can look at how to create comfort in the knee and see how we can create relief in the knee and how that tension pattern will then become um, more evident as how it's going up into the up the leg into the hips and lower back or maybe down the leg into the calves shins ankles and feet it's interesting bill because when you when you say that when there's you talk about there being an area of pain in the knee when i first started working with you i remember performing one of the exercises in my right knee which was the problem area still is the problem area but i manage it okay now and i I remember the feeling of it felt like in my knee, like I don't know if you've ever done, uh, carried out some kind of meditation and your body, your whole body feels light mm -hmm. and your whole body feels weightless. Like I had this really strange weightless feeling go into that area of my body. Only mm -hmm. in that area after performing the exercise, it was really, really, really strange, but it felt great. I have to say it was like, someone resuscitating my knee. It was really, really strange, but um, it, it felt good. And 18 months on, it's, it's proven successful. Bill, I wonder if we could talk about the, something you spoke to me about before, and that was taking a five-minute break every 55 minutes and why that's important and, yeah. and how that can help you get through those eight hours a day of walking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a concept, um, there, there's rhythms that our body goes through each day, uh, throughout each week, throughout the month. And for instance, we have every, uh, we have a night and day, every 24 hours, there's a cycle. Every 30 days, we have, or 28 days, we have a cycle of the moon. Um, we have uh, cycles in our digestion when we get hungry and then we eat and then it, we our body cycles through to digest the food and then we're hungry again. We have uh, cycles that go through uh, to excrete the food that we ate. There's cycles that we go through when we drink water that excreted out of our body. And there's also a cycle every 90 to 120 minutes, and it's called an ultradian rhythm. This ultradian rhythm is, you, you can feel it when you first start out <clears throat> doing any sort of project. You start hiking, you start uh, typing, writing a book, you start uh, working on a project. And about 90 to 120 minutes into that, that project, you're going to beginning of the beginning of it, you're going to go like gangbusters. You're going to get a lot done. You feel really good. You're spot on your mind sharp. Everything's on point. And then somewhere about 90 to 120 minutes into that, all of a sudden it's be, uh, I think I got to go to the bathroom. Oh, I think I'm kind of hungry. Um, your mind will start wandering. It'll be more difficult focusing. And what's happening 
is your neurology is getting fatigued for that one task that you're working on. And when I talk about taking that, that five minute break, that's a way of breaking up your day into a bite-sized chunk that you can, let's say, hike for 55 minutes, but then you take a five minute break during that 55 minutes, drink water, do some of the, the pain pattern interrupts, which are the uh, neurological shifting uh, exercises that I work with uh, in the program as a way of resetting that neurology and getting the fatigue out of the knee um, and, and keeping it recovered. And why you want to do this is because <laughs> when the body is completely depleted, the amount of time it takes to recover is infinitely longer than if we take short breaks and continue to do what we can to keep the body performing at an optimal level. So that's the whole thinking and mentality behind you know, breaking an hour up into 55 minutes of work and five minutes of a break. And theoretically, that should be able to keep you going in, yeah, in good spirits, in, with good energy throughout the rest of your eight-hour walking day. Now, what about, Bill? This is something I found really, really useful working with you. Dealing with pain mm -hmm. while you are exercising. While you're, for example, someone's walking along, they feel some pain in their hips, in their knees, ankles, mm -hmm. wherever it may be. Tendonitis is, you know, could be a problem with an RSI. Repetitive stress injury could be a problem when you're doing a long, long distance hike like the Camino. Talk to the listeners about the, you told me about the breathing techniques you can use to get through that pain. Those days when actually you can't stop, you need to keep going for another two hours until you get to where you're going to sleep for the night. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when the, when the body goes in pain, we can look back to those neurological states that we were talking about earlier. There's two primary neurological states. There's a sympathetic state, which is a fight or flight state. Um, that is especially easy to identify when we're, when we're in pain or when we're afraid. And then we have a parasympathetic state, uh, which is also known as a rested and relaxed state. And that's going to be applicable like um, what you were talking about, the light feeling when you did those uh, pain pattern interrupts. Um, that it's it's that state you get in where you feel loose and relaxed and you know things are s smooth and and easy and what happens though is we can have disparate neurological experiences in our body at the same time which means you can be in pain like your knee can hurt or your body can feel fatigued and at the and and moving into more of a paras or a, I'm sorry a sympathetic state a fight or flight state and at the same time we can use a tool like breathing that can push the body into a parasympathetic state simultaneously. So in one respect, your body is gonna your end of the day. I'm hungry. I'm tired. Um, my joints are achy, and you're feeling not so great. You feel the nervous system kind of going, okay, I had enough, but you still have 
a few more kilometers to go before you're finished. And at the same time, you can consciously focus on, focus on breathing as a way of keeping the body into a parasympathetic, parasympathetic state, rest and relax state as much as possible until you reach your destination. Could you give it a quick example of that what that breathing could be? Yeah, the, the breathing, it, very simple approach. It's in through the nose and out through the mouth. And the more discomfort or pain or fear that you're in, you're going to want to increase the speed of the breath. So normal breathing, everything's feeling good, would look like normal breathing. In through the nose, out through the mouth. But as you feel that tension coming on, that discomfort coming on, the breath is going to speed up. And the, the, the worse it gets, because this comes from martial arts training, it could be very fast. And of course, in a martial arts context, you're looking at maybe having a, a joint lock on you or being punched or kicked where you're essentially surviving through that experience. But in the case of a hike, you can incorporate this as a way to continue to keep the body relaxed and carrying you through. Yeah, I found that really, really powerful and effective build, that, that breathing technique to keep going through the nose quickly as fast as you possibly can. And in the end, your body does one big sigh of relief at the end of it. It just does it involuntarily. And, the, yeah. and then you just, this flood of just relaxation again just goes through your body. And when I was getting back to when I went from being scared to even go up a set of stairs, I would do it going up a set of stairs. Mm -hmm. And when it came to going up a hill for the first time after my injury, I would do it going up the hill. <laughs> yeah. And it really, really is powerful. So if yeah. anyone that is on a hike and they're, they're feeling a bit nervous um, about getting to the end of their day, in through the, in through the nose, out through the mouth as quickly as possible. <laughs> and this technique that Bill says is really, really, really powerful. And Bill, I think that brings us quite nicely onto a question that we got from another listener. And... Um, Will Melan, I hope I've pronounced that right, says, can you share your perspective on the spiritual dimension of the experience of pain? So I guess mm -hmm. the spiritual, emotional, because this is one thing I found great about your, your approach, mm -hmm. Bill. You weren't like a, a cookie cutter physio who says, hey, go and do these exercises that I tell everybody to do. You address mm -hmm. the physical, the emotional, the nutritional, the spiritual, every single side of it which I found fantastic, a bespoke approach. It wasn't just like, you know, you're the same as, as uh, Betty down the road or Bob around the corner. You, you ask bespoke, specific, personalized information and you give personalized, bespoke advice and programs as well, which is what I loved about it. It was so refreshing. So my experience was I was so nervous, so angry that I was in pain, so angry that I'd gone from not being able to, from running as far as I could go, walking 25K, that I couldn't even get around the block. There was a massive psychological element to the pain. 
spiritual mm-hmm. learning. Can you talk about that and how that can help people get through those tough times on the road during training and I guess actually on the Camino? Yeah, absolutely. The the component, it, it's important for us to look at ourselves not as just like flesh and blood and bone that we have a very spiritual component to who we are there. And, and that speaks to the nervous system. The nervous system is an intangible that the conventional Western medical model doesn't look at that. Yet it can measure that at, at the moment of death. There is our physical body is 21 grams lighter. And no one is able to speak to exactly why that weight is lost at the moment of death. Well, I believe that there's the spiritual component to who we are. Um, And as if we're looking at physical pain just on the physical level, there are so many different, there's, there's so many instances in life that is pointing to different experiences that can't just be described on the physical level. For instance, um, someone who's been in war or an amputee can feel pain. They call it ghost pain in a limb that is no longer there. Why is that? So when you look at these different instances, like the body is 21 grams lighter at the moment of death and we can feel pain in a limb that no longer exists in a human in in human form anymore it's been amputated that there's so much more to us that we need to take into consideration and look at so when i speak with a speak with a client it's important that we have the right mental approach in order to be able to take on this experience of physical pain many people um, everyone has a choice as to how they want to approach, approach the pain. Do they want to use it as a disempowering experience where they look like they're a, a victim of whatever pain that they're experiencing? Or can you begin to take on a different perspective that looks at the pain as some sort of learning lesson or teaching lesson that we can draw on that experience to then transform and transmute the energy of that pain, that experience of that pain, and channel it into some sort of creative energy as to how we can learn about our body differently or the the different direction that this pain is guiding us in in uh, our life. Um, my my example was when I blew out my knee, I thought it was the end of the world. All I wanted to do was judo. All I wanted to do was throw people. <laughs> it was pretty limited, very ego-driven uh, motivation for anything that I was doing. And over the past 20-some years, I found that my whole life, and this was you know, starting in uh, – the fall of 1999, I started learning different things, taking different classes, studying different approaches to healing the body and different um, spiritual philosophies that then I began to evolve differently as a person that I wouldn't have 
if I had never gotten my knee injury. So many times people get stuck in that place of like, oh, the pain, and this is the end of my world. Instead of looking up from that pain and seeing the different direction that you're being guided and directed in your life to evolve differently as a person. Maybe it's going on uh, a long hike like the Camino. At, and, and that's where you can use that daily, that experience of daily discomfort, uh, pushing your body to its limits each day to see what different thoughts come into your mind, what you're, what you're made of, uh, uh, what, how, how you respond when you're in a high level of discomfort. And you can use this as a way of uh, getting insights into yourself that you never would anywhere else. Mm, that's a really intelligent, pragmatic approach. And I, th I think I, I always think of something you said to me when I first started working with you, because my, I guess, instinctive characteristic response to being injured was, this is crap. You know, I, all I want to do is run. <laughs> all I want to do is get up that mountain. Um, yeah. All I want to do is get on that bike. All I want to do is get back on stage, et cetera, et cetera. And I can't, and I feel terrible because of it. Um, and the, the, the thing for me was, right, I just have to fight through this. I need to do more of what's giving me pain, which is obviously the wrong approach. And um, what, what you're basically saying is, you know, what you said to me was, what well, you gave me the analogy of your daughter walking into the nettles. Mm -hmm. You, know, you, you right. pull the nettles off, have a think for a moment, what is it that I need to do to make myself, what's going to make me feel better mm -hmm. and not get stuck more in those nettles. And, uh, and I've always thought of that anytime I've felt some pain since in throughout my rehabilitation, it's like, okay, because I still feel pain from time to time. I'm like, okay, that makes, I'm not going to do longer on the bike tonight because I'm going further in the nettles there, you know, mm -hmm. and need to get off the bike, do a, do a pain pattern interrupt like you've taught me. Stick mm -hmm. some arnica on, elevate it for a little bit, give it a rest for a couple of days, and then go back to it. Yeah. Um, um, I think that that kind of also brings me neatly onto the point where I guess if someone's on the road, Bill, and they're at the point where they feel like they need to stop. Mm -hmm. They can't go anymore. They've tried the breathing. Um, they've done what you've said to do in terms of looking for the lesson in the pain. Where's the lesson? Where's the, where's the opportunity for growth? Mm -hmm. But physically, what should they do when the, while they've stopped? What could they do? A couple of things, maybe. Yeah, I, I think it goes back to the mindset, the mentality. And it's a journey. It's not a destination. Like, they don't have – and this is part of a, a self-abuse lesson. <laughs> <that> <laughs> yeah. We don't, you don't have to finish the Camino in order to get it. True. It's – I, like you can go the first day and get it. You could go day 11 and get it. You can go day 29 and get it. You don't have to finish to get it. And that was, so my, um, my lesson in that was the bike trip, uh, across the country. Um, I went across the, uh, 
the, the Cascades, which are in the west, uh, northwest uh, Washington state, which are the steepest and uh, young, youngest mountains in North America or in the United States anyways. And then I went over the Rockies, which were the second oldest. And then the third were the Appalachian Mountains. Well, I never made it to the Appalachian Mountains. I stopped somewhere in uh, Kentucky, uh, Kentucky, Virginia, West Virginia, somewhere around in there. And I remember I was beating myself up about the fact that it's like I didn't finish. I did cycle 3,000 miles. <laughs> I did learn a ton about myself. And I got to a place where I got very sick. I, I, my body was too run down. I wasn't listening to what was going on. And my, I got the flu. <laughs> I didn't have to go and finish those last, that, that last distance in order to prove to myself that I could do it. I was like, okay, I got it. I got it. If I want to do it again, I can. But that, that's as far as I got. And I learned a ton. And I, you don't necessarily have to go and be so strict on the destination in order to get the lesson. Hmm. I like that approach. I like that too. It's the journey, not the destination. Mm -hmm. Bill, I want to be really respectful of your time. Um, so I'm going to try and whiz through the remaining questions that I've got from the listeners. Um, how to discern between muscular pain and tendonitis. So I guess like, how do you know if it's just like an ache or pain? How do you know if it's something more serious? What, what signs symptoms are you looking for? What, what are the signs of RSIs? Uh, generally what's been an indication for me is that, uh, when something is bad, it's, it doesn't matter what I do. The pain doesn't go away. That's kind of an indication for me. Uh, muscular pain is going to feel sore more in above, below the joints or in between the joints. That's where you're going to feel the muscular pain. Uh, the tendon ligament pain is going to feel in the joint itself, <clears throat> been my experience. Uh, a lot of times I can do some simple stretching that will begin to relieve that stretching my calves, my quads, my hamstrings is simple that that's a easy Google search to find stretches you could do while you're standing. And if you stretch and the pain gets relieved pretty quickly, then you're looking at a fatigue that's going on in the body that it needs a little bit more recovery time. Uh, if you stretch it and it doesn't make a difference, uh, in any way, shape, or form, um, then I would, it, there's, there's an imbalance going on. And that's where you're looking, you want to change the neurology, uh, making sure the water and, and uh, the minerals and all that kind of stuff is balanced so the body can reset. Another question from Sarah Briggs. Could, please could you ask whether walking the Camino from Saint-Jean, um, well, let's just say this, um, Walking the Camino with arthritic hips, mm -hmm. advisable or not? How would it be possible? Well, I would begin to work with 
arthritis, we could take a step back. All diagnosis of arthritis is dehydrated joint. So everything that I said about when the body gets dehydrated, when you have arthritic hips, that's just a, 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 a and the a doctor's diagnosis will back this up, that it is a situation of chronic dehydration in the body that causes the joint to begin to wear more than just a short period of time. And it wears to a point that you get diagnosed with, with arthritis. So you can walk with arthritic hips, but there's also some simple things that you could begin doing. I mentioned earlier today, uh, the water, the, the sea salt, the um, stretching, and then changing the neurology in the body that can make the, the hips quite comfortable. And I, I can honestly say, Bill, when, when my right knee went, my, my left my left hip also tightened mm. up horribly. Um, mm. And I, I was in so much pain with my left hip. In fact, my left hip ended up being more painful than my right knee mm. in the end. And stretches that you've given me, I still do every day. And mm. I'm virtually like zero pain there every day. Um, yeah. And I've walked a Camino since. And, sure. um, yeah. and it's been really... I don't know if my I didn't get an MRI on my hips, but I know they were horribly painful, yeah. and that was really useful. The stretches you gave me from for my hips as well. So, um, Nick Systemans, good to hear. If Bill has any tips on daily routines to help with the walk, so some some things you might do daily to, I guess, keep the body road ready, road worthy, road yeah, ready to hit the road. Stretching mm -hmm. is a great one. Um, whatever, like practicing, whatever you're going to carry with you. That was one of the mistakes I made on my bike trip. I didn't train, uh, I didn't train like I, like it was reality. I didn't necessarily, I'd ride my bike, but I wouldn't ride it with a full load on it. So have your backpack with you, all of the things that you would carry, your uh, water, your clothing, your trekking poles. I'm, I'm just trying to think. Your food, your whatever that is. Sounds like you've walked it, Bill. I I did I did do a, a trek through Nepal. Wow. A day trek on the the uh, Annapurna circuit. So I think the Camino would probably be very easy for you then, to be yeah. honest with you, if you've done that. Uh, um, yeah. 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 So I. I Practice like you're going like reality. I think that's a really good one. Stretching, learn some stretches that you can do while you're walking, making sure you're drinking plenty of water. Uh, do the 55 uh, minute, five minute break kind of thing. Yeah. It's all really good. Well, one, one thing I found really useful that you gave me as well um, was the psoas stretch. Um, because my body, when I, when I walk, everybody's body, when they do that kind of long distance exertion um, and the endurance and the, the toll that it takes on the body, everything feels tight and tired. So what I would do was your psoas stretch. Would you, you know, the ones where you stick the, uh, like your, I would lay down on the floor, just on some grass, mm -hmm. put the backpack, my backpack under my knees, Yep. Just sit yeah. back and relax. And within five minutes, I'm yawning like I'm like a vampire's like expelling bats from their mouth, you know, like, yeah. like, yeah. Ah, like yeah. yawns. Very, very funny. Um, 
Talk about the psoas stretch, stretch and why that's important and why that can be useful. Uh, the psoas stretch, what happens is it shortens the tension pattern going on in the psoas muscle, which is the largest muscle in the physical body, and it pulls forward and down on the lower, the lumbar spine, uh, and it pulls up on the, um, the, the legs and the pelvis. So that you could think of it like when you're sitting, your psoas is in a shortened position. And then if you have tension in your psoas, when you go to stand up, you kind of have that couple steps where the body feels a little achy the first few steps until it loosens up. Um, when you're on a long distance hike, long distance trek, the body gets fatigued and these psoas muscles will tighten up even though you're standing up and it'll be harder to take steps. The body will feel achy and all that. Uh, throw in that backpack or a, 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 a roll like a sleeping bag underneath your knees and lying down in a nice place or wherever that is so you don't have to hold the tension in your legs allows the neurology in the lower back to reset and let go. So when you get up from that position, now it's just easier to walk. It's just easier to move. I found that really, really powerful and really useful when I was on the Camino in the summer. Just laying on the floor, my backpack under my knees, and just feeling all of those muscles just relax. You can, I could physically feel them relaxing. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a really nice sensation. I want to finish, Bill, if I could, maybe get some tips on potential supplements and nutrition. Uh, let's see. Supplements. One would be the sea salt. The mm -hmm. other... One is, uh, well, we talked about the Arnica briefly. Um, the, the other one that's coming to mind is magnesium. Uh, magnesium oil or a magnesium supplement that you take because the body, uh, I've just, the older I'm, I've been getting and the more clients that I've worked with, the more that I see that magnesium is just so deficient in everybody. <laughs> and making sure you have plenty of magnesium. Now, it's one thing to be aware of is that magnesium is a laxative, so you want to be very present to the amount of magnesium that you take because it can loosen your bowels and make long-distance hiking very uncomfortable. So um, you, you want to get like your magnesium tolerance under control so you don't go over that. Uh, magnesium oil is great um, to put on your feet, all the way basically from your feet to your lower back. If you're uh, walking long distance, you could get magnesium in you with um, Epsom salt, like an Epsom salt foot soak or an Epsom salt bath. The long distance hiking may be a little bit more challenging to get in a bath, but you can also, in a pinch, cut the Epsom salt. Uh, a cup of warm water with a cup of Epsom salt to dilute it to make a magnesium oil solution to put on your feet uh, all the way up your legs, your lower back, your hips. Brilliant. And the Arnica is, is basically uh, an anti-inflammatory. Anti-inflammatory, anti-pain. It's just great to use. Uh, I will tweak the strategy a little bit with the magnesium 
he would want to use the magnesium more in the evening because if you're magnesium deficient and you do too much magnesium when you first get up, then you want to go to back to sleep. <laughs> you just can't get motivated or moving. So use the Arnica as a strategy in the morning up until the evening when you're wrapping it up for the day and then use the magnesium going into the evening so you get a good night's sleep and your recovery is going to be so much better. You feel more rested the next morning when you get up. And the magnesium is good. Normally you put it on your body, don't you? And then you maybe let it, your, your body absorb it topically and then you have a shower because it can be a bit yeah. sticky. Yeah. yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Bill, there's 23,000 people that follow you, that have subscribed to you on YouTube. You're a bit of a celebrity in the, uh, in the YouTube sphere. How can, people, uh, how can people find you? How can they join you too? How can they follow you? Well, actually, probably the best thing that they could do is head on over to my website, thekneepainguru.com. And what I've done, and it's a little bit different of a format since you were in Knee Club a few months ago, is I have, it's called Knee Club Lite, where people can actually get access to my trainings, but they don't have access to um, the full program. But they can see, see very similar to what I'm sharing here. I'll talk about the specific videos that I'll point the members to, to get help and support. But um, so they have access to the training they don't have access to the tools like the asking me questions and the specific videos, but they can go to the kneepainguru.com website and get a complimentary, um, complimentary access to Knee Club. You can check that out. So kneepainguru.com, everybody. If you are experiencing any kind of pain, not just knee pain, because I have to say, Bill, because of you, the tension patterns you talked about, when mm -hmm. I was at my, my worst, my lowest, my neck was hurting, my shoulders were hurting, my wrist was hurting, my wrists were hurting. I'm not exaggerating, everything was hurting because I was having to use my upper body to do things that my lower body would normally do, such as get out of a chair, get mm -hmm. up off the floor. I was using, I had to use my, my shoulders and I was in pain everywhere. And you were able to get every single one of those areas of my body out of pain because you've got, air, you've got exercises for all of those areas. So it's not just knees. Yeah, that, that's correct. I, uh, over the past, uh, let's see, 14 years, I've been doing this online that as members, like when you were in the program would have a new ache or pain or needed to do something with an area of the body that I don't have in the members area, then I would record a video, put it in the members area for, for that member that and that's how it's built so how it's been built out over the past 14 years uh doing it online yeah no it's um bill i can only thank you for what you've done for me um finding you was nothing short of a godsend and it was definitely the best money i've ever spent in my whole life because um 18 months later i'm doing everything i want to do and i'm not sure i'd have been able to do it if i'd have gone with the physio if i'd have had the surgery and if I'd have had the steroid injection, to be honest with you. So um, what you've done has been without surgery. It's been with, with homeopathic supplements, which I still take every day, which are really, really useful. And um, I can only thank you, uh, you know, a million times, Bill. Thanks for everything. Of course. And I hope you. others can get some value from, from your, your 23, 23 years of, of knowledge and experience in this industry. 
Yeah, it was, it was a pleasure to be able to help and be able to see you grow and, and evolve because in, in order for you to experience what you've experienced, you have to become a different person than when you first entered the program. And that's part of what we were alluding to with the, the spiritual component that if we give the body just a little bit more than what it's capable of handling, it'll, it'll cause it to grow and become stronger. But if we give it too much, and this is what I see happening with the conventional medical model is it, it overloads it with pain. You got to push through the pain and you got to strengthen the legs and it's just doing doubling down on what doesn't work. So you, you had to be a huge component in that equation to show up and be willing to be open, like this balance of being open and questioning at the same time. And that's what's so important is you just can't blindly do it because if you blindly do it, you're going to miss the insights. And mm. then if you're so close to it, because it's like you already know what's not going to work, well, then I can only take you so far because uh, you, you have to evolve. You have to become different in the process. I remember the days actually when I thought, you know what, I can do more more than Bill says and I did it and I was in pain and I was I, I came a cropper. And then oh, every day I would th say to myself, what would Bill do? What would Bill do? Bill would stop right now. And and uh, I still have, uh, I would still channel my inner Bill today, Bill. So the, <laughs> one, one last piece here, and, I, and that component of when we begin to listen deeper inside as to how much to push and how much to back off, we get more in alignment with energies that are around us that like a like a wave like you're in the ocean and you're swimming and you have the tide and if the tide's going in or the tide's coming out we could choose to swim against the tide or with the tide and if we swim with the tide we're going to get much further much faster with a lot less energy or effort and what do we do differently Nothing really, except point ourselves in the right direction. So when we begin to listen to what our body is telling us, our neurology is telling us, and begin to gain that sensitivity and awareness within ourselves to point ourselves in the right direction, we can get so much more done in our life because we're not putting ourselves in opposition to those things that are there that are going to prevent us from achieving what we want to achieve. So that, that's a little bit of getting deeper into the spiritual component of it. But you have to be a different person. You have to be open. You have to test. And then you have to come back and go, well, this worked and this didn't. And that guides the ship. That points us in the right direction. And that can help guide the ship for anyone on their pilgrimage to Santiago. Please visit Bill at thekneepaintguru.com, everybody. You will think it's the second best decision after walking the Camino. Bill Paravana, thank you so much. Okay, thank you, Brad. It was a pleasure. <laughs>